just help me thank the worship team and also thank God for his presence here this morning. Good morning, Canyon Hills. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. My name is Pastor Carlos, and I'm glad that you're bringing us into your home today as well. I'm excited for today because we get to continue in our series called Hold On. And again, this premise of holding on is that as we all go through a season, whatever that season is for you, it looks different for all of us. But nevertheless, I think we're all trying to hold on to something. And, and I think we'll, we need to talk about that a little bit more. There's an idiom in the English language that, that people say, see to that. Um, you know, we say things like, you know, so-and-so will see to that, meaning they, they're going to take care of it. It means to take the steps to make sure that something happens, which is an interesting idiom. And, and what I want to talk to you about today is, is a big word in Christian circles. It's this word that we say that God is sovereign. Again, it's a big word to understand, but nevertheless, in its simplest form, it means that God is seen to everything, absolutely everything that needs to be done to bring about his purposes. And God sees to it that it happens. In fact, John Piper defines God's sovereignty as God's right and power to do all that he decides to do. So when he decides to do a thing, he sees to it, he does it, and no one can stop that. That is sovereignty. In fact, you might remember from last week's message, Micah here talked about Job, and this is what Job said about God. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And it started to think about my life, and perhaps maybe you can think about a time in your life, especially during difficult situations, where you can now look back and discover that God was with you during that time, that he had been opening doors, and, and it, of course, it didn't feel like it at the time, and maybe you didn't, even, uh, you didn't even see it working, but you know now that he was there. You know because you know because you know that he was there, that he was orchestrating, and that he was making all things fall into place. And I think it's so important for us to remind ourselves of that today, of God's sovereignty, because we are in a season of holding on. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking again about what we're trying to hold on, but I sense that in my own life that a lot of us, especially a lot of loved ones, a lot of people that I know are trying to hold on to their faith because it seems like Christianity is being scrutinized more than ever before. Do you guys see that happening in your circles? You know, I think of how many people that I've talked to and how many people that, that I know about that are today questioning their faith. All of us are trying to hold on to this sense of normalcy, whatever that looks like for us during this time. Many of us are trying to hold on to our families because they are becoming more and more fragmented. Again, there, there's a lot of things that we're trying to hold on. We're all trying to hold on to something. And oftentimes it's during that time that we have this grip and we're trying to hold on to something especially when it comes to our faith, that's when we start to have trouble trying to see where God is at work. And we question, is God really in control? Is he really in control of everything that happens, of every word that just came out of our mouths as we sang worship? Does he always work for the good of those who love him according to his glorious purposes, Romans 8, 28? Because ultimately the answer to that question is God in control determines everything. Think about that for a second. If we don't believe that God is in control, at a minimum, our faith will falter. When things get tough, we're going to be frustrated. We're going to tend to blame God or be angry at God. So this morning, I want to share this story with you that it might be very familiar with you, but I think it reflects the reality 
for Canyon Hills Friends Church today. Let me give you some context before I read the scripture. You may recall from Pastor Matt's message two weeks ago when he talks from the book of Daniel, and he talked about Daniel not conforming. If you haven't heard that message, you need to listen to it. Go online and listen to it. Well, the events of Daniel took place in Babylon when the Jews were taken captive by the Babylonians, and they lasted in captivity for 70 years. The events in the story that I'm going to read to you today from the book of Esther occurred around 485 B.C. to 465 B.C. over a span of about 20 to 21 years. And during the first half of the king's reign, this guy named King Xerxes, he had a queen, and the, the queen's name was Esther. And again, in Old Testament history, God's people, the Jewish people, were exiled And the Babylonians were taken over at this point in the story over by the Persians. So at this point, the Persians are ruling over the Jews. And during this time period, the the first remnant of the Jews who had already returned to Judah were struggling to reestablish temple worship according to the law of Moses. So they were having a hard time. But this gal named Esther and her cousin named Mordecai, which we'll hear about more today, along with many other Jews, had chosen not to make the trek back to Judah. They seemed to be content to stay in the city that the scripture talks about, a city by the name of Susa, the capital city of Persia in which this story is set. And what's interesting to note here about the city of Susa is that the palace that it references here, or the citadel, has been confirmed by archaeological finds in Susa. And I always like to mention those things because these stories, we, sometimes we feel they're made up, but there's some proof to at least that this, this palace existed. So I'm going to open up the scripture in, in Esther chapter 4. Open up your Bibles, open up your Bible app, chapter 4, verse, uh, verses 12 through 17, or you can follow along on the screen. And it says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, Esther, who knows, but that you have come to your royal position and then famous words for such a time as this. And then Esther, she sends this reply to Mordecai, and he, she says to him, hey, go gather together all of the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, and only until this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And then some more famous words, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. It's, it's an amazing story. It really is. But, but I believe that this text reflects our reality today, meaning the reality of what is happening at this church and around this church. What Mordecai said to Esther and what we just read reflects the realities for us as individuals and as a church. And I believe that the way Esther responded is the way that we should respond. The first thing that Mordecai tells Esther is say, listen, Esther, the need around you is urgent. You know, in chapter three, we read about a guy named Haman who persuaded the king of Persia, this King Xerxes, to make an edict declaring that all the Jews should perish on a certain day. They should be killed. 
And that is exactly what King Xerxes did. The king of Persia decreed the annihilation of all of the Jews. Meanwhile, Esther, who is a Jewish woman, was the queen. But the king didn't know that she was Jewish and, asked, and Esther hadn't even heard about the edict yet. Here you have a queen who has no clue that her king, her husband, if you will, just ordered her demise. Esther, you see, is behind these palace walls, protected from all that is going on around her. And this part of the story reminds me, perhaps it'll remind you, that sometimes I get so involved in all that I, what, is, what I have going on in my life that I often miss the things that are going on beyond my palace walls. I am so busy controlling outcomes that I may miss it. So perspective in this part of the story on our part is very important. So Esther's cousin Mordecai sent her, sent her a message in the palace and told her what was going on and says, hey, you have to try to stop it. You have to try to stop this. Esther said that the problem was that she hasn't seen the king for a while and she's not scheduled to see him anytime soon. And in verse 11 of that same chapter, this is what it says. It says, to he, she says to Mordecai, all of the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death, unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days, she says, Mordecai, 30 days have passed since I have been called to go to the king. So you see, for Esther, it would be risking her life to even try to see him, let alone ask him to totally change the orders uh, that he just gave. So Esther sends this message to Mordecai, and then Mordecai responds and says, Esther, you don't realize that how urgent this matter is. It's important to you. It's important to me. You can't ignore this. And then he says, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. In other words, church, this need is so urgent. Don't think that the problems that seem far away from you won't affect you. Don't think that because it's not near your home or your palace that it is not affect you. Mordecai says, you can't ignore it. You can't just go on with life in the Persian palace. I mean, that, that is the first thing and the first reality that we see in this scripture. And then there's another reality going on here that I don't want us to miss. And this is where I want to spend all of my time, the rest of my time, because it is so important that Mordecai reminds Esther that God is sovereign. I already told you what it means, that God sees to everything, that he is supreme, that he is absolute. In other words, Esther, in all that is going on around, going on around here, don't be mistaken. Things are not out of control. Church, all the stuff that is going on around you, don't be mistaken, is not out of God's control. And this is the one thing that I love about this passage, that in the midst of this urgent need among the Jews, we see this steadfast confidence, this steadfast faith on the part of Mordecai. And he says, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. He says, relief and deliverance will arise from another place. And Mordecai is confident of that. Folks, that is faith. Mordecai knows that he's talking about God's people, the Jewish people with the promises of God. God had promised to keep them and sustain them and preserve them. Mordecai knew that God would not let his people perish. 
that he wouldn't let his people be annihilated. He knew that God would save them. God is sovereign. So Mordecai says to Esther, put all this together, Esther. Think about it. Do you not realize what God has done in your situation in his sovereignty? God has put you in a place and position for such a time as this. It is no accident, Esther, that you are a Jewish woman, that you are the queen, that you are a Jewish woman is in the king's palace in this very moment. So I want you to consider this morning, church. I want you to consider that God has you right where you need to be right now. It is no mistake that you are here. You know, sometimes we, we get a tug to, to say or, or to do something for someone and think, you know, someone else will take care of it. And folks, the scripture tells us that is true. Deliverance will come from another place if we don't do it. So we always want God to send somebody else, but most often God is asking you to do it. So I don't want us to miss that from the story that God is at the center, God is in control, and he is asking you to be part of that story. In fact, did you know that the book of Esther never mentions the name of God, which is really interesting for a book, right, in the Bible? But as you read the book of Esther, you'll, you'll never see the name of God. But what I do want you to see is that although you don't see the name of God in the entire story, you do see the fingerprints of God all over it. You see God's sovereignty, the fact that he is in control all over it. I mean, think about this book of Esther for those of you that have read it. And if you haven't read it, I mean, it's, it's I think about eight chapters. It's a short story. It's, it's a great read. You, should, you guys should go home and read it. Think about uh, I think about all the, the events in the book of Esther and I start to think about parenting and how difficult that can be. You know, you see the world in front of you and, and you are working hard to prepare your kids. You sometimes as a parent, I did at, at one point feel ill-prepared. I kind of still do. Maybe even afraid of what the future holds for our kids. I think you need to hear this morning that, that God is in control, that he is ahead of your parenting skills. And I start to think of the, all the people that I prayed for for salvation, especially your loved ones. You, you might relate to that. And how you don't see them and it's getting late and you're wondering like, what's going to happen? Am I going to see them in heaven? I think we need to remind ourselves this morning that God is in control. I think of the pressure that we often feel to provide for our families and to know that God always comes through. He always has for me. That God is in control. And I think of all the things, our dreams and all our to-do lists and all of our goals and the frustrations that we may feel when we don't realize them. And we need to be reminded this morning that your God is in control. He is sovereign. I mean, I just want to tell you about this story that is so amazing. Just think about, okay, from this story, just think about how Queen Esther became queen in the first place. One day, Queen Vashti, the queen before her, just so happens to upset her husband, the king, King Xerxes, by not showing up when she was summoned. Pretty serious offense to a king. And the king just so happens to cast her out, who just so happens to create the need for a queen. Enter Esther, who just so happens to be this beautiful Jewish woman, who among all other women that were part of that, that, that group just so happens to find favor in the king's eyes. And Esther just so happens to have a cousin by the name of Mordecai, who we already heard about. Mordecai, who one day just so happens to hear about a plot to kill King Xerxes. And Mordecai just so happens to tell Esther, who tells the king, and the king's life is spared and saved. Mordecai, then, his, his heroic act is now recorded in this journal, in this book. 
But it just so happens that Mordecai is not honored for this heroic act at that given point. All that leads to a guy named Haman, by the name of Haman, an evil man who just so happens to become prominent in the kingdom. And he is the one that convinces, convinces King Xerxes to kill all the Jews. And it just so happens that Mordecai, uh, I mean, that, that Haman hates Mordecai because he won't bow down to him like everybody else. So that makes Haman really upset. So Haman decides one day that he's going to get the king to kill Mordecai. And Haman thinks, you know what, I'm going to get some, uh, some gallows built. They're going to be 75 feet tall, and I'm going to build those for Mordecai. And his plan was to go to the king the very next day to ask for the king to ask to kill Mordecai. And it just so happens that that night, the king cannot sleep. And he says to his servants, read me a book. How cool is that to say, hey, somebody read me a book. I can't sleep. Anyway, so that's what the king does. And it just so happens that the guy who goes to get a bedtime story for the king, out of all the books he could have picked, off the shelf, he picks the one that talks about the time that Mordecai saved his life. The king asked if he was ever honored, if Mordecai was ever honored for this heroic service. And the servant says to the king, no. So the king just so happens to decide that the first thing he's going to do in the morning is he going, he's going to honor Mordecai. So just as the morning happens and the sun rises, and the king is ready to honor Mordecai. Guess who just so happens to walk in the room? Haman. So the king just so happens to say, hey, man. Anyway, I know that was bad, but I, I, I couldn't wait till this part of the story. He says, hey, man, how do, you, how do you think I should honor someone who's super mega special? And Haman, of course, he thinks he's talking about him because he thinks he's pretty special. So Haman says, you know, what I would do is I would put royal robes on him and I would make a parade so everybody can praise him. And the king says, hey, Haman, that's a great idea. Why don't you do that for Mordecai? And all of a sudden, Haman finds himself robing the guy he wanted to kill, parading him around for everyone to praise but Haman still thinks he has some hope because Queen Esther just invited him to this banquet. So he still thinks he's pretty special until he gets to the banquet. And at that banquet, Queen Esther says, King, we have a problem. You decreed the destruction of the Jews. And guess what? Your queen is a Jew. And the king says, well, who in the world made me do that? And Esther says, this guy over here. So now at this point, the king is furious. He leaves the room. Haman falls on his face before Esther, pleading for his life, pleading for mercy. And then at that very moment, it just so happened that the king returns and he sees Haman and he thinks that he is mistreating his wife. And the king at this point has had it. He decides to hang Haman. Well, it just so happens some gallows had recently been built. And within hours, Haman meets his fate. Can you, guys, can you guys think of the events that have? This is eight chapters worth that I just summarized. Can you guys even imagine, believe all the turns, all the, are these coincidences? Or is God actively at work in every situation of your life? You can't write a better script than this. I mean, do you realize what the book of Esther teaches us about history? God has the whole thing rigged. And he has it rigged for a reason. I mean, get the picture. God is sovereign, who in the midst, in a world of virgin need, desires to show his salvation and his love and his mercy and his glory through people like you and me. 
He puts people in certain positions, in certain places around us, certain times for the accomplishments of his purpose. And none of it, folks, none of it is a coincidence. Like Mordecai, I would say without hesitation that the need around us, the, re, the need around this church is urgent. I mean, sure, it's not the same as the Jews and Esther, but there's a lot of parallels here. Picture it. Just picture this. Esther living in the luxuries of a Persian palace, totally unaware of this edict against the Jews and the urgency around her. Daniel before her that we talked about two weeks wouldn't eat the royal food. He would not conform. Esther in the same situation had no problem eating the royal food. Things have changed for the Jews. They had become complacent. Mordecai says to Esther, you can't ignore this because she's tempted to ignore it. And the same thing, if we're not careful, could be said about us. It could be said about this church that we can easily become complacent, that we can easily say someone else will do it. We know that this church resides in one of the wealthiest places in the entire world. And if the church is not careful, and I don't just mean this church, it's the church with a capital C, we can live totally unaware of the urgent needs around us. And we can actually start to convince ourselves that the world looks exactly like us when it doesn't. It's just so easy to forget that we live in a world where every day people are increasingly isolated and fragmented and polarized. I mean, we are witnessing the stark decline in public trust in the church. Again, church with a capital C, which bothers me because I am the church. You and I are the church. We live in this society that is enthralled by this desire to pursue our own path without any regard to the Christian faith. In fact, an increasing number of people are seeing Christian morality as this uh, not only old-fashioned, but, you know, sometimes even dangerous. Yet we know, because we're here, I'm kind of preaching to the choir, we know that that's not what called us to do. That's not what God has called us to see and do and act. And the reality in my situation is oftentimes I, I, I see a temptation in my life. Perhaps you can relate. I see a temptation in my life to ignore all the needs like these. I see this temptation and this tendency in my life to ignore the urgent needs and pretend that they don't exist. And if I'm not careful, I can come into this comfortable room, sit in a cushioned chair, sing some worship songs, and spend the rest of my week living for all this world has to offer when we know this is not what our God has called us to do. It's not what God has called me to do. It's not what God has called this church to do. The need around us is great, and God is sovereign. And like Mordecai say, things are not out of control. They are not spinning out of control. God is still the father to the fatherless, the defender of the widows, and God is in his holy dwelling. And it is through his people, through his people, he wants to, be free, wants to bring freedom to the captives, and hope to the oppressed, the good news to the poor. God is sovereign and has a sovereign purpose for your life. And through your life, he's going to show his mercy to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people group. And God has put you and me, this church, in certain positions, in certain places, at certain times, for the accomplishment of his sovereign purpose for such a time as this. And if I could be so bold in light of that reality that I would say that the opportunity before you, church, is huge. 
More than ever, I believe it has set this church right where it needs to be for a sovereign purpose for such a time as this. Nothing here has happened by mistake. Nothing here is an accident. Nothing has happened in your life by accident. You have a part to play. You are part of this whole purpose, this sovereign purpose that God has. It's kind of like this puzzle. We're all part of this puzzle together, coming together beautifully for the accomplishments of God's purpose, both individually and as a body. God is at the center. He designed the puzzle, and he knows exactly where all the puzzle pieces go. And we don't know what the picture looks like perhaps at times, but think about it. Neither Esther, Mordecai, the king, Haman, all the characters in this story had an incomplete picture of what was happening. And yet through all of this, Mordecai, Esther, they held on tightly to their purpose. They held on tightly to their faith, trusting, preparing, recognizing that God was in control. And I think that in light of this, some of the things that we should do and one of the ways that we should respond is respond like Esther did. And the first thing she did is to seek his face. Oh man, to, to seek God's face wholeheartedly. So notice the first thing Esther didn't do is get to work. And I say that because that, that I'm prone to that. I see something that needs to get done, especially a to-do list, or I see a problem and that I want to solve. I'm a problem fixer. So what I do is I get to work. But listen to verse 16 again. First thing Esther did was go gather together all the Jews, she tells Mordecai, who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. Prayer and fasting is what she resorted to first. She had people do it for her, and then she herself did it herself. And then she says, I'll go to work. Because Esther knew what all of us here know, that it is impossible to do the work of God apart from the power of God. I mean, this church, you, you're so talented and you are so gifted that, that you, we, if we realize that together we would shake the nations for God's glory. I mean, do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God can do more in us and through us in this church over the next year in the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do in our own over the next 10 years? I urge you this morning that you would put your focus where it needs to be. God is calling all of us to respond to this. And it's not about this church or this pastor or the pastor at the next church. It is about the power of God being manifested, working through the people of God. And it starts with seeking his face. And it follows with throwing aside all dependence on our natural abilities and human ingenuity that we would seek what only he can do and be part of what only he can do, to go and look for where God is at work, to join him. We don't want to depend on what we can do. We want to see what only he can do. We want the fruit to be evident. We want to be able to say, look what the Lord has done. It's not about us. We seek his face and then we do what Esther did. She surrendered it all. I mean, look at what she said. We, we, we too should surrender our lives. She says in the last part of 16, when this is done, she says, that's when I get to work. I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, she says. And here's the total surrender part. And if I perish, I perish. What a statement. Complete 
and total surrender. Esther, you see, is holding nothing back. She realizes that it could cost her life. She recognizes that God has put her there again for this time and this place for his purpose. And that's what I pray for me. That's what I pray for you, that God would instill that heart in every single person that is listening to my voice right now. With all that you are, with all that you have, your gifts and your talents, with all of the grace that God has given you to say, God, it is all on the table. It is all for you. I surrender it all to you. You know, this, this is so important because sometimes we feel we're not prepared. That's for somebody else or that we're not adequate for the task at hand. It seems too great. You may say, hey, listen, I'm no Esther. I'm no Esther personally, but keep in mind that Esther did what she could. What she did was set up a couple of banquets for the, for the king to come. She resolved, she had courage, she trusted in God to spare their lives. But make no mistake about it, God did everything else. When we surrender our lives to God, that means that we trust in God. That's what it means. That's what Esther did. I mean, do you believe that right where you're sitting right now, God has put you right where you're at, whatever you may be going through for a reason, meaning that you're not at your job by accident. You don't live where you live by accident. The people that are around you are not there by accident. You are not part of this church by accident. God has sovereignly ordained all of these things has to put you in these places for such a time as this. And you may feel you're not ready for that. Let me remind you, this is essential to the Christian faith. To be a follower of Jesus, this is not a certain level of Christian maturity. This is Christianity 101. Jesus said, if anyone is going to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, I give it all to you. And if there's any fear in you, sometimes there's fear in me, I encourage you to remember who you are surrendering your life to. He is good. He is sovereign. He died for you. And if we can trust him to save you and to take you to eternity, then we can trust him to satisfy every need that you have on this earth. Folks, do what you can do. Recognize that the needs around you are urgent. Respond to them. Serve your purpose. Seek his face. Surrender and trust in God. And like Psalm 24 says, that we would be a generation that would seek his face. O God of Jacob, will you end in prayer with me? Father, we are... Thankful for your word this morning, Lord. And I know that it resonates with so many people at so many different levels, with so many different situations, Lord. But you are still at the center of it. You are in control, Father, and you are ministering to your people, whether they're here or online, Lord, that you are faithful and you're reminding them right now that no matter what they're going through, good or bad, Father, that you are at the center of it that you are going to turn it for your glorious purposes, Father. May we be a generation that seeks your face, Father. Oh, God of Jacob, may we trust in you wholeheartedly, Father. And even though we may not see the mountains move, we will put our trust in you. 
Father, whatever people may be going through this morning, whatever they may be questioning, whatever circumstances they may be facing, Father, whether they're rejoicing or they're feeling like they're in the valley, Father, may they know that they know in their heart this morning that you are in control. May we be reminded of that. And more so, Father, may we respond to that Respond by recognizing the needs around us and endeavoring to make a difference for your glory. For we now recognize, Father, that you have put us right where we're at to serve your purpose, right where we sit, right where we stand, Lord, at a certain time, at a certain place, at a certain season to accomplish your glorious purpose. May we be a people that seek your face, O God of Jacob. In Jesus' name I pray this morning. Amen.